0: write my sermon schedules out way in advance, and, um, which probably surprises those of you that can tell how disorganized I am in other ways. But, and I had this Sunday penned in as the flip side of the question the woman asks Jesus in John chapter 8. This week I was going to cover the men who ask him the question in the same text, but a couple of months ago I asked uh, Reverend Bonnie Gatchell to come and preach for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, I first met her in 2015 when she was uh, receiving her ordination at our presbytery at Bellevue Presbyterian Church, which some of you know is where Brad Mojer is now a pastor. It shouldn't surprise me so much that the kingdom of God is not that large in terms of how often we overlap with one another and one another's stories. Um, And over the years, as we have grown in our understanding of and ability to, to practice faithful presence as individuals and as a church, uh, we invited Bonnie to help Bonnie to help out with the if gathering last Saturday, and I invited her to preach uh, this Sunday morning. And having already heard it at nine o'clock, I 'm really excited um, to introduce her. So Elizabeth is going to come up first and read the text, and then I 'm going to hand the microphone to Reverend Gatchell, or Elizabeth is going to hand it to her.
1: This is from John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? And has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on sin no more. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thank you very much. Um, Dear Jesus, I pray that the words of of my mouth, and the meditation of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, amen. So I live in Boston, that's where our ministry headquarters is located, and April is upon us. And April in Boston is Marathon Month, and and really people have been ramping up all year to run the Boston Marathon. Um, And the Boston Marathon is such a big deal in Boston that if the marathon date falls on tax day, so April 16th, 15th, obviously I do my taxes, but um, (laughs) then we get to, as a city, I don't know how this got passed, if it falls on tax day, we get an extra day as Bostonians to do our taxes. So, It's a little odd, um, but that's just how big of a celebration it is. And as you know or might remember, a couple years ago, our celebration was hit with grief as people decided to bomb the race and killing eight people, including an eight-year-old boy who lived just around the corner from my house. Um, And so this pursuit went out for the men who had done this damage, and the police officers looked everywhere. They took off running. They hid. One of them would end up killing a police officer at point blank because he pulled him over in the stolen car, and the other would get away. And so there was a pursuit, a passionate pursuit, to go after these men, men who had caused damage to our city, to our hearts, to our story. And there is a great intensity behind that pursuit. And the, the police officers were determined to capture the suspect, maybe bring him in alive, but in the end, um, punish him. And what's interesting is that this is the same type of passion, the same type of intensity that the Pharisees and the religious leaders have towards Jesus. They are pursuing him with a commitment to kill him. And the main difference is Jesus is righteous. Jesus is without sin. Jesus is God made flesh. But these Pharisees and these religious leaders, they cannot handle any more of this Galilean calling himself Christ. And so they must bring an end to this damage that he is doing to their way of life, to their community. So we look here at chapter 7 coming before our text. The Feast of Booths is taking place. The Feast of Booths is a time in which the religious community, the Jews, it was the one time a year before Christ that they could come together and meet with God, and He would hear their prayers. It's an interesting time to be pursuing someone to kill them, but nonetheless, And so people are gathered together and in chapter 7 leading up to our text, there's at least three to four stories of Jesus going out, preaching, teaching, declaring himself Christ, the people gathering to him, and then the Pharisees chasing after Jesus and trying to kill him. And so the text right before ours, in fact, is one of those times. There's been a lot of debate and you can hear it throughout the crowd. Right? I asked this in the earlier service, but are there any teachers in the in the audience here? Yeah, you know that moment when you've said something and you see your students turn to each other and go and it's because they're either really confused at what you just said, (laughs) which happens often, um, or they're so inspired that they have to reference one another. Is this is this what she meant? Is this what she's talking? This is what's happening to the crowd. They're saying, is this, is, this, is this the Christ? Is this a prophet? Who is this Jesus? And the Pharisees overhear it, and they lo- realize that they're losing some of their power, right? And some of their authority. And so they must pursue this Jesus. And I'm going to reread just the first part of our text, uh, backing up to verse 53 and 7. They went each to his own house, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them." So they've had this debate, and they've now ended the day, and so the men, the religious leaders, the ones who instruct on the law, they go back to their homes, right? But Jesus doesn't have a home to go back to. He goes to the Mount of Olives, or at least it's implied that he doesn't. And the Mount of Olives was a good hour walk. So they're in Jerusalem doing business, and Jesus walks an hour to go to bed. But the religious leaders who are now trying to kill him, they only have to go a few steps. Because in this time period, people would have lived within the city wall. Right, So they get to go to their own bed pretty quickly. Jesus goes an hour. And these are men who have been taught from generations back right? how to be Pharisees, how to be keepers of the law. And this is the thing, is at this point they, they look like pretty violent men and they are acting like violent men. But this is not a secular ordained position. right? They didn't apply to be a Pharisee. Um, They went to school, since they were 12 years old, to learn how to interpret the law and do the law and how to teach others to follow the law. This, though, was given to them by God. It's a God-ordained calling, and it was set in place way back in the Old Testament with the tribe of Levi, right, with the high priest being put in place. And with the tribe of Levi and the high priest being put in place, it wasn't like there was an Indeed.com, where you went and applied. It wasn't an application process. You didn't send it to a church committee and come do a practice sermon. It was just selected by God on the full merit of God selecting that particular bloodline. So these men, these Pharisees, the high priests, the scribes, they're passing on all their knowledge that's been passed on to them for generations before. Right? So they, they are wise men. They're well-learned in the law, and the law that we're referencing is the Old Testament, in particular the first five books of the Old Testament, but of course parts of Isaiah, Limitations, uh, Ezekiel, right? And so these are well-trained men that are responsible for sacrificing animals on behalf of the community, and acknowledging that their sins have been forgiven. Not their personal sins, but the community sins. It's a, lot, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of authority. Um, and the Pharisees come on the scene after we move into the temple in Jerusalem. So let me just read here that with this big debate, they needed evidence to kill Jesus. And so as we picked up our text here, once again, Jesus is not deterred. He's walked a mile to sleep in a graveyard. The Mount of Olives was a graveyard, and that just kind of caught my attention. So he's walked a mile to sleep in a graveyard. It says early the next morning, early in the morning, Jesus gets up, stops by Starbucks, and goes to Jerusalem, right, another hour's walk. He's not deterred by their pursuit. Um, And as clockwork goes, He teaches outside the temple, and all the people come to Him. And like clockwork, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, come and pursue Him, right? And so I titled the sermon, After Forgiveness, or In Light of Forgiveness, What Now? Right? In Light of Forgiveness, What Now? And so the Pharisees, of course, now they've come up with a plot to trap Jesus. And so they've, they've went and found this woman in adultery. They found a woman in the throes of sex, right? Right in the middle of it. And they grab her and bring him, bring her to Jesus. And here's the thing about these Pharisees. It's not like they're polite people. They're not patient people. They've been working really hard to find a way to trap Jesus. So that means that they've brought her exposed, right? Like I'm, I'm single. So, you know, maybe I'm a little confused on how sex works, but typically you don't have all your clothes on, right? So they've brought her exposed. That's breaking law. As a rabbi, as leaders of the law, Jewish men were not allowed to touch women, much less touch a nude woman and bring her to the public court. So they're breaking the law. They're tearing down the community. The other thing that's... Struck out to me, so she's here. She's in front of all these people, nude. That would have been very humiliating for that time period. Um, and so she's there with this shame. But the thing I want you to hear is that it's not her shame. The shame actually rests on the religious leaders, on the Pharisees. In light of forgiveness, what now? How do we plan to live in light of forgiveness. Let me read for you verses four and five. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Do you hear it? Do you hear the text? They brought one woman, but they switched to the plural. They say to stone such women. They have already decided that she is guilty just simply for being a woman. And they had also decided that she is no longer an image bearer, right? She's an object to be used to trap this Jesus. They decided that. In light of forgiveness, now what? All this emotion, all this anger, and Jesus pauses and he stoops down and he writes something in the dirt. And we don't know, you know, what he wrote. People have taken, you know, liberty there and said maybe he wrote the word forgive, maybe he wrote the woman's name. I think that sounds beautiful. Maybe he was playing tic-tac-toe, I don't know. But we don't actually, the text doesn't actually tell us. But the more the posture is important here. Jesus is now giving these lawbreakers. Right? They broke several culture laws, community laws, and biblical laws. He's giving them grace. He's giving them a minute to step out of the situation by stepping down. And they do not take it. They push even harder. It says they uh, they continue to ask. Some translate it, they continue to question. The Greek word for question or ask is actually the word badger or beg. Um, I was excellent as a teenager at badgering and begging my parents. But that's what's happening here. They're pressing in. And Jesus stands up and he says, You who are without sin, throw a stone. So first of all, Jesus is saying to them, Look, you want to bring the law? Bring the law, and I'll bring it right back. Secondly, he comes back down to the individual. What they made plural, they said, Such women? Jesus brings it back down to the individual, and he reminds even these lawbreakers that they are human, that they are image bearers by saying the one, the one who is without sin, throw a stone. He also reminds them of the actual law. It's not that you get a bunch of stones. Every person who's part of a stoning gets one stone. Now you have enough stones, you die, but one stone, a stone. So he's reminding them who he is in that moment, right? I'm the creator of this law. I gave it to your great-great-great-granddad a long time ago, right? And that they were supposed to know this. Such a woman. Such women. In light of forgiveness, now what? Here's the other thing I want to point out is, one by one, they put their stones down and they leave. But Jesus isn't actually saying to them, be perfect, and then you can stone this woman. He's simply asking them to repent, right? He's saying, anyone who has sin right now, where you have not repented, go ahead. Pick up a stone and stone her. These men choose to not repent, but put their stones down and go home. In light of forgiveness, now what? And the question I have too is, what brings these religious leaders to this point? Why this hot pursuit for Jesus to try to kill him? And I think it's simply about pride and envy. Instead of leading with conviction, they're now leading with their pride and envy. They have fear of who God may not be, right? They have fear of losing the control that they've had their whole lives as the law keepers. They have, and they see this unraveling, if Christ is who he says he is, if he really is the Messiah, then the world's about to shift. Their paradigm's about to shift, because they're the only ones at this point who can keep, tell people how to keep the law, train on the law, interpret the law. But if Christ is who he says he is, if this Jesus is the Messiah, he's going to open it up for everyone to interpret the law. And they'll lose their jobs. They'll lose their authority, their power, or as they know it. Right? So this moment where they have shifted their calling from a holy calling to a selfish ambition. Instead of being willing to serve God, they want to try to save God from this shift in the culture, in the community, in how we understand grace and forgiveness and the law. In light of forgiveness, now what? I don't blame the Pharisees, right? Well, a little, But I understand them because when you're really good at something and someone else moves into the neighborhood... Who's as good as you are or better, that's threatening, right? That feels threatening. It threatens your identity, right? And this is what happens. But like these Pharisees, let's see what we can do to keep our callings. May it be you're an accountant, a teacher, a nurse, an EMT driver. Those are all callings. And some callings are seasonal, and some callings are lifelong. But let's enter our callings with humble confidence. Humble, knowing that it's only yours because God gave it to you. And confident, it's yours because God gave it to you. Right? That's how we should live, in the light of forgiveness. Let's also not, in the light of forgiveness, expose others. Forget that others are other image bearers, no matter what people group, economic, race they might belong to. Let's not expose others when we have the power to, because we are the boss, right? We are the parents. And let's be people who are willing to repent, right? And step into that freedom in light of forgiveness. I didn't need, there's a TV show that made uh, the Boston bombing part of their theme, I didn't need to watch, it's one of my favorite shows, but I didn't need to watch that season because I had already been exposed to the bombing. I lived in the city. One of my volunteers was trapped in the subway when the second bomb went off because the electricity died. It was around me. I was immersed in it. It was in the dirt that I walked in. Right? Let's live that way. Let's get immersed in the dirt of our rabbi who walked this earth in the light of forgiveness. Thank you. God, you are Messiah. You are Christ. And I am blown away that you would take the time to empty yourself, come in flesh, and walk a humble life. I thank you, Jesus, that each day we have an opportunity to put down the stone, to repent, and to follow hard after you. May we get dirty in your dust every day. In Jesus' name, amen.